I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome to another episode of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast here on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football, uh, talking about some some good stuff and some kind of ugh, touchy stuff in, uh, within the conference today, but um, we're going to cover it all for you as we usually do. Uh, Joe Londrigan here, Western Kentucky Representative, I don't know what you even call me anymore. I don't write as much as I should. Um, but uh, talking all things Conference USA here with my good buddy Eric Henry. How you do today, bud? I am doing all right. Cannot complain, brother. How you doing, man? Oh, it's 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 all good. Um, just keeping an eye on Twitter and writing things about the sports ball. You know, as I as as, as we all do, and try to not get too bummed out because it's been raining for like four days straight in Oregon now. The old sports balls are to keep you company. I mean, hey, you got Damian Lillard, and that uh, that should be enough to brighten your hopes, at least for a little bit up there in uh, Portland. We do, yeah. The Blazers have been fun to watch this year, even though they've been weird in spurts. I don't know. That's I feel like that's a topic for an NBA show, but at the same time, that's that's really what I've found is like the center of sports culture here. It's not it's not even the Ducks, it's the Blazers and then everyone else is just kind of trickling in with everything else. As weird as that is. Well, I mean, yeah, that kind of makes sense. I mean, I know the Blazers have been there since like the early 70s. I know they're pretty mm-hmm. uh, a pretty hardcore basketball town. For sure, but like at the same time you have like the Ducks and the Beavers and that whole football rivalry and then um I, I guess there's there's some Pac-12 representation in there too. There's a lot of UW people, a lot of Wazoo people, but I don't know. I, I guess just it's it's a little bit of a culture shock coming from like a little town in the Midwest where like college sports is king. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. I'm with you there. Well, let's dive into those college sports like we usually do. And to uh, start off the show, let's talk about uh, a little personnel change down in Denton that we hit on a little bit last week with Graham Harrell going to the University of Southern California to be their offensive coordinator. It now looks like uh, Seth Luttrell has found their replacement there. Uh, Two replacements, as a matter of fact. Bodie Reeder, the former Eastern Washington offensive coordinator, uh, will be one co-offensive coordinator for the Mean Green, while their pass game coordinator, Tommy Mainford, will be the other co-offensive coordinator. Uh, We, of course, know the kind of success that North Texas has had passing the ball the last couple of seasons. And um, for those of you that maybe don't follow uh, Big Sky Conference football that closely, Eastern Washington threw for 272 yards per game in uh, 2018, 582 yards per game total, and uh, scored 43 points per game. So while I'm typically not a fan of the two co-offensive coordinator approach, 
I think they clearly have two guys here who know what they're doing in terms of moving the ball down the field. It's funny you say that, Joe, because like you, I am not a fan of the co-offensive coordinator deal. Um, we've seen that kind of you know work with varying degrees of success. Uh, you kind of saw it with Bowling Green, for example, the past few seasons under Mike Jenks. They did the co-offensive coordinator thing, and while the passing game you kind of flourished the team overall on the field didn't do too well and there's you know a myriad of examples you can go around the country and see that but in this case with north texas i think you have the right nucleus you know you have seth latrell who's who's in place uh you had you bring in an assistant who's the passing game coordinator to kind of keep that continuity and you bring someone in, bring someone in excuse me like you said who is coming from a background of being a a, a passing team and most importantly you have mason fine so uh you know i think dakota gregory wrote for us a couple weeks ago kind of joked around that maybe you should make Mason Fine the co-offensive coordinator and you know I, I think while he was kind of joking I think you have to, to just kind of take into consideration the fact that you have a very accomplished passer back there and, I, and as long as you have someone like Fine back there you know calling the plays and getting the ball out of his hands very quickly the offense is in good hands overall right and I think it's been talked about a little bit that Seth Luttrell was going to call plays this year or at least he's going to do that um, he's thinking about it he's going to call plays in spring practice, which I understand he hasn't done in a while. Yeah, and, and personally, I don't know how you feel about it, Joe, but I'm a huge fan of, I don't think the head coach necessarily has to be the offensive coordinator if said head, excuse me, said head coach has an offensive background. However, I do think that the head coach should probably be the play caller, just because I, I think when you're kind of going down with the ship, you kind of kind of have your hands on it, so to speak. So I, I would be all in favor of Seth Latrell being the play caller. Yeah, I I agree with you in that I'm typically a fan of when a head coach kind of takes that takes the reins in that way of his team. And um, you know, I think there's just if they kind of just stick to what they've been doing, I think they'll be okay. I think just in the past two seasons really, they've been like that close to um, you know, either winning a conference title or uh, being in contention for one. It's just come down to, like, little things here and there. So I think, you know, I, I don't think whether Latrell calls plays or not, I think if they just kind of stick to what they've been doing with the kind of personnel that they continually bring in on the offensive side of the ball, I don't think there's too much to worry about there. Yeah, once again, I'm right there with you. I think this is just my thing as far as UNT goes. I just like to see them get that running game going. And they, they did uh, have a pretty steady running game this year. But if you can have that running game going at a consistent uh, consistent clip to complement Mason Fine, you know, all things considered, you'll be in good shape. Right. And I think that's um, part of the reason why uh, Bodie Reeder was an attractive hire here, because you look at Eastern Washington and they've traditionally been a pretty pass-heavy offense, but last year they really kind of balanced it out and made another uh, pretty good run in the FCS playoffs, if I'm not mistaken. So I think um, that had to be a good thing to list on his resume, coming from you know a situation down in North Texas where they are trying to run the ball a little bit more, or they need to anyway to try to balance things out. So I think I think we're in agreement here that they're going to be okay regardless. Absolutely. Cool. Um, so next thing that I wanted to get into this week on the site, you wrote an article about the ten toughest players to replace in Conference USA uh, in 2019. Um, I really agreed with all your picks here. Uh, top three, I believe, were um, uh, Devin Singletary, Brent Stockstill, 
and uh, Jalen Ferguson. And, you know, the rest of that list, I feel like, was um, all good guys, uh, pretty interchangeable in that aspect. But um, it just makes you realize there really are just a lot of names here that um, losing them is going to make a huge difference for their respective teams. And I was wondering if you want to kind of explain, you know, your approach in thinking about this and maybe some other honorable mention guys that you left off of here. Sure, yeah. Before I do that, though, uh, let's trickle back for a second, talking about offensive play callers. Uh, did you happen to catch Lane Kiffin's tweet, you know, talking about <laughs> taking a very uh, a very aggressive offensive strategy, so to speak? Uh, did you happen to catch his tweet earlier this uh, this afternoon, Joe? Oh, yeah. He uh, said Jennifer Aniston, come to the come to the FAU. Is that what you're talking about? The, the, that's, that's correct. Uh, one, Jennifer Aniston is celebrating her 50th birthday, and Lane, who is, is a single man, this, uh, just politely tweeted out, hey, you know, come to the FAU. Uh, so I, I guess we'll take a second here, Joe. Um, for the listeners at home, uh-huh. Joe is uh, is uh, spoken for, but I'm not. So I, I only mention that as to say I'm all in favor of shooting shooters shooting their shot when the, the, the shot is there. You, you miss, you know, 100 percent of the shots you don't take, as Wayne Gretzky slash Michael Jordan said. That quote has been attributed to many people. So uh, uh-huh. uh, yeah, yeah, Joe, uh, I, I I'm all hey. I wouldn't complain if uh, Jen Aniston decided to make an appearance at the Shula Bowl, uh, the annual FAU-FIU game. That would be a great time for her to come to the FAU. Oh, of course. Like, I feel, that would generate just some kind of crazy buzz if that actually worked. Because I feel like, you know, it, it was Lane Kiffin also that offered, like, a scholarship to, like, a baby, like, <laughs> in the past couple of weeks, right? Like... I don't know. He's a, he's a bold guy, and I, Fortune historically has favored the bold, I guess. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've been out of the romance game so long at this point, or at least the trying to woo women world that I, I genuinely don't know what works anymore or what's okay and what's not. But I feel like in this case that, that made me laugh. You know, <laughs> you know. All jokes aside, uh, Lane's a, is a very—he's uh, a very unique Twitter follow. I mean, if you see him, oh, yeah. he kind of has a spurts where he goes away and comes back and whatnot. But Jake Elman, who covers the team for the Palm Beach Post, you know, noted that uh, when Lane's back on Twitter, all is well in Boca. Oh, for sure. It's just—it's part of his mystique at this point, and it's really just kind of adds to like the G five football. Spear, I guess you know what I mean. Like the more he kind of um, goes about these weird little Twitter things, it just it really it makes the whole thing more exciting. Whether it's him talking about uh, Saban or whether it's you know stuff like this, where he's just trying to like recruit um, Jennifer Aniston to come to a game. I think, like I mentioned, it just makes the whole thing more entertaining and it's part of the FAU brand now. So I say just roll with it. Jumping back into the conversation about toughest players to replace in this league, obviously Singletary's up there. Um, Ferguson was just had an absolutely phenomenal year rushing and getting through offensive lines. But I would love to know kind of your thought process in putting this whole thing together. Yeah, Joe. So really, I kind of just had one major philosophy, to be honest with you. It was if a team has someone, excuse me, sorry about that. If a team has someone who is kind of slated to replace player X, 
then I kind of, you know, devalued that in, in a sense, right? So, for example, if you look at Devin Singletary with F- FAU, mm-hmm. had Kareth White Jr. been returning, more than likely Brent Stockstill would have been my number one. But with them losing both players, granted they have B.J. Emmons, who's, you know, the big transfer, uh, former Alabama player, went the Juco route, as reunited with Kiffin, but he's still kind of an unproven commodity. So I kind of put more emphasis, more precedent on, on if the team didn't really have someone uh, to replace said player. And also, if the team, to be honest, you know, didn't have a good year on the field last year and they're losing the one player who may have stood out, uh, that helped kind of make some of those decisions for me and it's funny you mentioned that because the three players who really uh kind of got the most controversy were Devin Singletary and Jalen Ferguson believe it or not uh when the article was tweeted out on the underdog dynasty twitter uh, a lot of the feedback first off was from a uh, want to give a shout out to Shane Marinelli who Shane's a good guy he's kind of a uh FAU troll slash FAU sycophant. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But uh, he was like, oh, uh, we'll be fine without Motor. We'll still win nine games. Uh, the bigger issue will be if Chris Robson can imp- improve. And sure, you know, you want to pay close attention to whether Chris Robson can develop as a quarterback. But uh, I think he was greatly undervaluing the impact of Devin Singletary as a running back. So uh, that one kind of stirred up some controversy. And the other one, weirdly enough, was Jalen Ferguson, who uh, got some feedback from a couple of Louisiana Tech fans. Uh, I want to say it was the LA, it's the La Tech Report on Twitter, I believe. Uh, sorry if I if uh, didn't identify them properly, but they mentioned a kid, Willie Baker, Joe, who uh, was a kind of a, a three to four slash, three slash four star player uh, who's behind Ferguson. Uh, they didn't see the field at the same time, but Ferguson, he, um, uh, Baker would kind of spell Ferguson and had a nice year as well. Had about 30-something tackles and I believe five and a half sacks. So he had a solid year. Mm-hmm. But they were making the case that, oh, yeah, you know, uh, Jalen, they're not saying that he was replaceable, but that essentially uh, Baker would be able to come in and it will be his time to shine. And, I'd, and I'm like, you know, guys, all Ferguson did was just set the FBS record for sacks in a single career. Right. So, I mean, I, I couldn't understand why those two kind of got the most pushback. But outside of that, you did mention if there are any other names I want to mention, and some of the mm-hmm. ones that I did for uh, Western Kentucky, Masai White is a guy you know very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I thought he's gonna. He had a, a very nice season, a very nice career at Western Kentucky, and he, he's uh, gonna be tough to replace. Charlotte DB at the role. Uh, he was kind of you know the linchpin as far as their coverage goes. Yes, they have Ben DeLuca, who's a very solid tackler back there in the secondary. But Ed Roll, he's a guy. He's a guy I got a chance to see firsthand in Charlotte. He's a very good cover corner. Um, EJ Ajaya. That was one who uh, North Texas fans were were on the Twitter page as well, saying that uh, I put Josiah Toafa in over EJ Ajaya. And, um, and once again, it wasn't that Ajaya isn't a talented player. It's that North Texas has a ton of talent coming back. And we know what the UTSA program has kind of been the past two seasons. Uh, and especially any hope of, of playmaking ability that they had on defense really ran through to- uh, Toafa. So that was my rationale for putting him there. And the other honorable mention guy I had was Xavier Yubosi. Who, if you happen to see the bowl game, you know the type of talent he has at wide out. So that's going to be huge. But I'll very quickly run down the names, and I won't get you know too deep into all of them. Uh, going from ten to one, I went Jack Fox at ten. Who anyone who's followed Rice football or Conference USA football over the past three seasons know that this guy has far and away been the top punter in the conference. Uh, I think that's kind of not debatable. Mm-hmm. I did put Stone Wilson as my other honorable mention because FIU is going to have to replace Stone as well. But Fox has kind of set the bar as far as punters. At number nine, I had Jamel Garcia-Williams. 
he had a phenomenal season for UAB in that defense uh, in his only year as a starter, uh, 43 tackles, nine and a half sacks. O'Shane Zimenez is a guy who, if you follow this conference, you, you know that name. I think he's going to be one of the most sought-after pass rushers in the NFL in the draft. Coming in at number seven, I had Jordan Budwig at FIU. Uh, the running joke at FIU is that you know he, he's been there since half of the, the football facilities were built because uh, Budwig uh, it was a sixth-year guy. He spent you know over half a decade at FIU and, and has honestly been the team's best offensive lineman since the day he stepped on campus. So Budwig is my guy at number seven. Although FIU does have some talented linemen coming back that will be able to try to fill those spots. Guys like Shane Magoo and Mershon Miller and uh, Dallas Connell, etc. Number six was Juwan Foggy. Uh, He's a really interesting guy to me, Joe, because you're talking about someone who, how often do you see someone go from wide receiver to linebacker, right? Uh, Not very often. And he was someone who was able to come in and make the switch from offense to defense and led Conference USA in interceptions mm-hmm. from his linebacker spot with six. So that was my guy at number six. To finish off the last two here really quickly, Tyree Brady. Uh, since he you know, transferred him from University of Miami, you know the things he's been able to do uh, at, at, uh, at Marshall and Huntington. He's been one of Conference USA's premier pass-catching targets. So he's going to be tough to replace, although they do have Obi Obialo, uh, who's in tow, uh, and a very big physical receiver as well. So we'll see how he fares. And then number four was Josiah Toafa, like I said. Uh, he's a guy who set the program record for tackles as a redshirt freshman. Uh, had an injury-plagued. Uh, Richard's sophomore season and then rebounded again this past year with 111 tackles and will take his, his talents to the NFL. So uh, those were the, the, guy, the players on the rest of the list. And overall, I, I think it's just one of those things where you kind of take this conference for granted in a sense. I mean, maybe we don't because, you know, we're fans of it and, and we follow it and we cover it. But if you're someone who, you know, if you follow SEC football or, or Big Ten or whatever it may be, you don't necessarily realize there's a ton of talent in this conference. And I, I think, to be honest with you, all 10 of these guys should be making NFL rosters next year. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. And I guess after reading this, it kind of like, I guess, reminded me that there's a lot of like, maybe not a lot, but these 10 guys really are really prime examples of like NFL ready talent in this league. Like Fox for sure. I've been saying for a while that I think Singletary is going to make an impact for an NFL team. Um, and then there are some really good pass rushers on this list with, uh, um, yeah, with, uh, Zimenez and, and, um, uh, excuse me, uh, and Ferguson on there. I think it's, you know, I think offensive lines are just going to have a little bit easier time of it next year. It would seem. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like you said, you know, you got Zimenez, you got Ferguson, you got Garcia Williams, and, and there's other guys on the list I, I could have put on there as well. So Conference USA, definitely ripe with talent. And while, you know, it's been interesting to see the guys who did get invites to the combine, how they'll perform. But overall, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing the Conference USA guys, you know, make the jump to the next level and, and, uh, and represent Conference USA very well. For sure. For sure. Um, so looking forward to what these guys do next in their career. Um, speaking of someone who might have to start thinking about what's next in their career pretty soon. Um, let's talk about Jay Hobson and Southern Miss football for a second. Um, so for background, last week there was a little bit of a situation at Southern Miss. Uh, Jay Hobson interviewed former Baylor head coach Art Bryles for an assistant 
position uh, at the school. USM's administration then came out and said, no, Bryles is not being hired. And apparently Hobson went over their heads and even bringing him in for said interview. Um, However, Hobson then said in a public statement uh, that he really wanted to hire Bryles and that he disagreed with the administrator's decision to uh, not allow him to get that job. Um, So for more background, Hobson actually just got a contract extension before last season that keeps him there until 2022. Um, And before we, you know, dive into this discussion, this whole thing is obviously part of a larger conversation that we really can't even scratch the surface of in this type of format. Um, so with that being said, we'll just kind of talk about what happened there could and maybe should affect uh, Southern Miss football, their head coach and where they go from here. Um, so if you're Southern Miss, uh, if you're USM's administration, you have to look at this and think about, A, here's a guy who really doesn't seem to see what the issue is in bringing someone like Bryles onto his coaching staff, and B, isn't showing regard for authority within his place of work or your processes, uh, the administrative processes that you put in place. So at that point, you have to wonder if he's even really worth it. I mean, he has a winning record, yes, but is dealing with the kind of you know, PR situation and how that could conceivably affect your recruiting and, you know, win loss and record down the line and revenue after that, um, you know, is he worth it in terms of like just going eight and four or seven and five or whatever it is every year uh, (laughs) for dealing with what bringing in someone like that or having a person who thinks the way Hobson clearly does on board, is that worth it? And, you know, I don't think it is, but, and, you know, we'll see what Southern Miss and their administration thinks as, you know, things kind of keep moving forward here. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, I mean, before I kind of give my thoughts on the entire situation, and, you know, we we are all adults here, Mm -hmm. despite uh, if you listen to Prerac podcasts, you might not think the two of us hosting this podcast are adults, but (laughs) we all are. We we all are here, you know, all jokes aside. We're we're essentially talking about sexual assault, right? Uh Um, So here's the question I want to ask you, because, you know, in in your your nine-to-five life, you do deal with sports business Uh and things of that nature. So I'm just going to ask you the question point blank, Joe. Uh Do you think that from a pure PR, you know, marketing perspective, let's even the best case scenario, right? Southern Miss goes 12 and Owen wins Conference USA. Could that even have outweighed the the negative publicity that they're dealing with now and would deal with in the future, in your opinion? I would say no. 
Um, especially not for like a small school like that. I guess just like, I'm trying to think of like an example of that. And I don't know that they're, I'm just struggling to kind of come up with an example off the top of my head of like someone who is that way, but has great success. Um, and I, I would think, you know, no, because a, like, <laughs> you know, going 12 and 0 at, with Southern Miss in the way that this league's set up right now, it's not going to happen. Like really the best they can hope for is like another eight and four season in a bowl game. So it just, it doesn't, for a team that's like really just trying to like escape just being like a regional interest right now, it it doesn't make sense at all for them to be going down that road. And it doesn't seem like they are from how they handled the Browse situation, but... Yeah, you know, I, I think I think you made a uh, you make a lot of valid points there when you talk about the as far as the risk versus reward here. I, this is not a team that's going to compete for a national championship and things of that nature. So, and like you said, they're somewhat of a regional program. No offense to Southern Miss fans who may or may not listen to this show. Now, like I said, we'll go ahead and deal with the elephant in the room here. It's like we're all adults. We're talking about Art Bryles, who there were numerous sexual assaults committed by his players mm-hmm. at Baylor. And I'm not going to be the person who's going to sit here and say Art Bryles should never coach again. That's not my POV. But I'll give you an analogy, Joe. Um, If I am the cashier and I take a high school job at Target, right, and I steal money out of the cash register and I get fired, uh, I have more than enough right to go off and, and go to college and earn a degree and come back and, you know, work for Target corporate. But they probably aren't going to put me back on the register again, right? Uh, it's it's the same thing here. Uh, if Art wants to go, I think he's tailor-made for the pros, especially with the way that the NFL is going in, in 2019 in terms of the Baylor spread offense. And I, and I think he has more than enough right to be gainfully employed in the NFL. However, in my opinion, he's forfeited his right to be a collegiate head coach or to be a collegiate coach in, in any uh, in any facet uh due to the things that happened under his watch at Baylor. You know, I, I think, and let's just talk about the Baylor offense for a second, which is a very popular offense around college football, but you don't have to have him to run it. And when we're talking about the Baylor offense, for those who are not familiar, Art Bryles is kind of the innovator of a very popular, what term the Baylor-style spread offense. Uh, Mike Jinks, who I referenced earlier in this podcast, came from that, that, um, that tree and ran it. And, and it's run in a lot of places around the country. But you don't have to have Art Bryles to run it. So even from just a pure X's and O's standpoint, I'm not sure why Jay Hobson, outside of they clearly had a relationship. If you saw Jay Hobson's statement afterwards, uh, they clearly have a relationship and a friendship going back uh, prior to this. So that could be the only reason why he chose to bring him in for an interview. And, and you made another great point talking about that he really you know, kind of went over the administration's head just to kind of explore this for – the bad PR and what, who knows, but to kind of close off my, my statement here, I mean, when, when the talk of bringing Browse in started, I read an article and ironically enough, uh, it was written, uh, I believe it was to Sean, actually no, it was Matt Baker of Tampa Bay times who wrote an article about, uh, Art Bryle's son, Kendall being brought in an FSU. Mm-hmm. And the, the, there were, 
there were complaints from female Florida State football fans who said, hey, I'm a survivor of sexual assault. What type of message has it sent to me? And that kind of kind of stuck with me. You know, it, I think the same thing applies here at Southern Miss. You know, what kind of message are you sending to, to your student body? I mean, look, you know, we're not going to sit here and pretend that athletics are, are – um, aren't a huge part of college and, and aren't given a priority, but in some form or fashion, you at least have to act like this is still an institution of higher learning. And I, and I just think you're sending a bad message, not only to your student body, but to the, the PR around the country. Uh, no one was talking about Southern Miss football on a national scale prior to this. Right. Now, when you think of Southern Miss football in the, in the current space, you're thinking of Jay Hobson and Art Bryles. So uh, all in all, just the risk didn't outweigh the, the doesn't not the, the rewards don't outweigh the, the risks. And just in my personal opinion with, you know, Art Bryles, uh, he's more than fit to coach on the professional level, but he's forfeited his right to coach at college, in my opinion. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of like you have to keep in mind that um – you know, it's a college and there are things that go on there other than sports. And to the credit of Southern Miss fans, the overwhelming majority of them kind of seem to, you know, be in the boat of like, we don't want this to be what our school gets publicity for. You know, that was and at least in terms of like the social media reaction, that was what um, a lot of them kind of indicated. And um, they have a very good point. Like, and what just kind of blows me away is like what was Hobson's kind of response to this? Kind of came back as like, yeah, it was just like a indignant of like, you know, I I I don't I won't get into it too much, but he was just indignant to the point where he was kind of publicly like, I don't know, trying to like discredit, you know. the university uh, president and the athletic department. And I just was like, dude, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, a, you know, it's, he's, he wouldn't, I get that. He's like your buddy or whatever, but like, he wasn't gonna make your team that much better immediately. Um, B you're hurting your own image by doing that. And it's like, um, and B, like you're obviously hurting your relationship with your boss by doing this. Like it's not, it's not worth it at all. Um, at least from my perspective. And then the other thing was, um, oh God, the other thing was just like part of his statement was like, well, yeah, he did these things, but he's not going to be the head coach. And it's like, that's not the point at all. <laughs> like, right. like, how are you this? Like, I don't know. It, it was a very, like the whole thing seemed really like tone deaf. And, you know, for the record, I, I agree with you in that art Bryles does not belong anywhere near college football because so much of being a college coach in any sport is proving like, you know how to lead young people and point them in the right direction, not just on being a complete athlete, but being a good and complete human being. And he completely failed at that aspect of being a head coach at Baylor. So, you know, that's, that's all I'll really say about it. (laughs) 
No, yeah, I mean, I think as far as Jay Hopson's statement, once again, you kind of hit the nail on the head in that it was very tone deaf and just very aloof. Like, he didn't understand... It, it seemed as if he was almost confused at the outrage that was coming in his direction. And then, furthermore... I understand, you know, hey, you want to get your homeboy a job, but then what happens when your homeboy has some baggage? We're going to start looking into your history. And I don't know if you saw this, Joe, where uh, yeah. it was Nicole Auerbeck of the, of the Athletic who started talking, um, had an article that researched the, the, uh, some players who Jay Hobson was bringing in who had baggage. So yeah. in, in all, the, all the way around, it was just kind of a, of a lose-lose situation. And I mean, for, for anyone, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, I would assume that you know about the situation at Baylor. If you don't, I just would punch in a quick Google search for Art Bryles and Baylor. Once again, you know, we're talking about numerous sexual assaults and, and a program that had to shutter their entire staff nearly. So this isn't just... Uh, a situation it, it wasn't nearly as light as Jay Hobson made it out to be and I would right. you know point any, anyone who is not familiar with it I would point anyone to either Google you know Art Browse and Baylor or Google Brenda Tracy who does a ton of work uh, in, in terms of uh, college campuses and, and mm-hmm. trying to uh, curb sexual assault so that's you know where we'll leave it at that but all in all just not the best not the best week for Southern Miss football and, and it's it's not indicative I'll, I'll end it on this if you're and, and I know I'm actually close friends with uh, some people who who didn't go to Southern Miss and played other sports there? That's not what you want your school to be to be representative of and be in the news cycle for that. So, not at all. And you're right. We'll we'll wrap it up at that. In that, it was a really poor string of decisions by Hobson. And I guess at this point, we'll just see if uh, you know what Southern Miss's administration thinks in terms of is this even a relationship that's worth maintaining if. You know, this this incident and some of other Hobson's behavior are what our program and our institution of higher learning are going to be known for moving forward. So I think that's that's a good place to end that conversation. Um, bringing it back to uh, some other actual football related matters at uh, FIU, there's going to be a change in staff there with Brent Guy stepping down the defensive coordinator for the Panthers there. Um, you know, Eric, as someone who spends as much time around that program as you do, uh, where do you think the Panthers go from here on that side of the ball? That is a really, really good question, Joe. Uh, this was something, a move that was not expected. Uh, for those of you who are, may just be finding this out and listening to this podcast, I'm assuming you will know by the time you hear it, but FIU defensive coordinator Brent Guy uh, chose to step down today uh, for, for personal family reasons. He said that you know he has some family obligations that he needs to take care of. Uh, there wasn't any any you know more of an elaboration than that uh but brent and head coach butch davis have a relationship going back 30 years to when brent was a player at oklahoma state and butch davis was an assistant under jimmy johnson so uh you know it 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 wasn't it wasn't like you know maybe a a disagreement so to speak it truly was some uh some family issues that coach guy is going through but if we want to bring it to on the field and you know Listen, as someone who covers his team and, and is at press conferences and practice and things of that nature, I've got to own up to things that I've written and said. Here's the fact of the matter. I haven't, nec- I haven't necessarily been uh, the biggest proponent of Coach Guy's defense on the field in the sense that there are a lot of talented players on this defense over the past two seasons, but they haven't gotten the most out of them. Now, with that being said... Uh, towards the end of the year, the defense started to pick up, especially in the bowl game. The run defense was phenomenal, and for my money, it was really their their best 
performance of the year. Uh, we're talking about a run defense that gave up a 100-yard rusher to uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff. So uh, to, to, to bounce back and you know, have the performance they did against Toledo was phenomenal. And the defense was trending upwards. However, uh, Coach Guy's defense, this is the main stat that kind of sticks with me. Uh, the past two years, FIU's defense has been ranked in the, low, the bottom third in FBS football and tackles for loss. To me, that stands out because during his time as a defensive coordinator at Tulsa, uh, his teams were his defenses were routinely in the top 15 in tackles for loss. And overall, just while the past defense improved with guys like Stanley Thomas Oliver and Isaiah Brown, um, Dorian Hall, Richard and Richard Dames, etc., uh, the run defense just never really caught up, and there that was kind of bewildering because there's a lot of talent across the defensive line. So to bring it back around to your question, as far as where do they go from here? You just have to kind of check Coach Davis's pipeline, Mm -hmm. and that's what I'll be kind of doing within the next few days. Uh, A question I got on Twitter is, could there be an in-house replacement? I think there's enough time between now and when the season starts that they can find somebody, but the closest thing to an in-house replacement would be uh, secondary coach Jeff Cobb, who has spent the better part of the past 15 years as coaching various defensive positions, uh, Idaho State, um, uh, Northern Arizona, a, a myriad of, of places, mm-hmm. but I, I wouldn't look at him necessarily to be in line to be the next defensive coordinator. So I, I would just start checking Coach Davis's coaching tree, and, and you can probably put the tea leaves together. But all in all, you know, just from personal note, you know, we hope that uh, Coach Guy, you know, whatever it is that he's dealing uh, with his family, is, is can you know wish him nothing but the best going forward. For sure. Um, but in your opinion, you don't think there's going to be an internal hire that inevitably gets this open position. Yeah, if you look at Coach Davis's staff, mm-hmm. a lot of it was built around getting guys who have recruiting, who have ties to the Miami area, so you could recruit that area well. Guys like Aubrey Hill is a wide receivers coach, Tim Harris Jr., who was a former um, high school coach in the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at the defensive staff, once again, you really had Brent Guy, who was the D.C. and linebackers coach. Uh, this is actually the third change. If you look at the offseason, it will be the third change to that defensive unit. Uh, like I said, Coach Guy was the D.C. and linebackers coach. Uh, Kenny Holmes, a former Miami Hurricane, uh, once again, another local guy, played for Coach Davis. He was the defensive line coach. He's been replaced by another former Miami Hurricane and Butch Davis guy in Kennard Lang, who was a defensive assistant. Uh, and then you also have Bryn Renner, the former North Carolina quarterback, mm-hmm. uh, will also join Jeff Cobb with their, uh, back there with the, with the secondary. So there isn't really someone who you could say, like, there's a ton of experience and say, hey, that guy's going to be the D.C. Um, and for those of you listening, Coach Davis kind of made his bread and butter as a defensive coordinator uh, with right. the Dallas Cowboys back in, in, in the 90s when the Cowboys won a championship. So, you know, he, I, I, it wouldn't shock me if Coach Davis has more of his imprint on the defense, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there's no one internally that you can automatically point to the outside of Jeff Kopp, who, once again, 14 years coaching various positions on defense, but uh, no real experience at D.C. That's interesting. I just, I don't know. I I guess I just didn't notice that pattern in um, Butch Davis's coaching tree before. But, you know, I wasn't necessarily worried from, like, a recruiting standpoint because I feel like he uh, – They've been really good about that in years past, or at least in the the brief time that he's been at FIU, and then obviously it's it's paying dividends. So I think um, this is going to be you know an interesting coaching search then I guess because I feel like if he's looking for guys with ties to the Miami area, there's certainly plenty of those in the, in the college football world right now. 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's a ton of guys with ties to the Miami area who will be able to step in and recruit. And like you said, recruiting is not going to fall off. This, it's one thing that Butch Davis can do, who I think is a very, mm-hmm. uh, quite frankly, I don't think he gets enough credit as a game day coach. But his players love him. His players swear by him. This goes back to UNC. This goes back to the University of Miami. Uh, and and now at FIU, the players love Butch. You can see it in the post games. They're hugging him. And, and you know, he's the first one to tell me, hey, I love you, man, and, and things like that. So you don't have to worry about that. And he's a heck of a recruiter, so that's one thing you do have to worry about with Coach Davis. So I would just start checking the Butch Davis pipeline and kind of see where it can fit in. But in terms of recruiting Miami and South Florida, uh, or recruiting in general, mm-hmm. uh, he's got a great staff as far as recruiting goes, so they'll be fine there. For sure. Um, one kind of note to start wrapping the show up then on a happy string of, of thoughts, I guess. Uh, Western Kentucky fellow with uh, Western Kentucky University Fellowship of Christian Athletes now has named an award after the late Mitchell Henry uh, called the Mitchell Henry Leadership Award. Two football players and two non-football players uh, will get the award every year on on the basis of uh, character, work ethic, and leadership ability. And that comes with some scholarship money also. So a uh, really nice way to kind of honor um, a guy who um, – a played such a huge part in, um, you know, some of these teams that um, Tyson Helton was actually a part of when he was a coordinator at WKU, and uh, you know, obviously, I think he was just a guy that, especially in the you know in the years leading or in the uh, year or so leading up to his passing, was really kind of a great symbol for Western's community. Um, so I think that's a really interesting way to kind of honor him and I think um, I think there was an article in the Bowling Green Daily News this morning actually that um, his his parents are, are kind of really happy that um, the program's honoring him in this way so that's that's something really cool to see yeah absolutely like you said you know it's great for for Mitchell Henry and his family to kind of have that honor to to kind of you know keep his memory alive and, and I'm a huge fan of naming awards after after you know people in kind of that regard because mm-hmm. a lot of times you don't really know the impact or, or, or you know, legacy that someone may leave. Uh, but when you have that award and you say, hey, I won the Mitchell Henry Award, and you kind of say, hey, you know, who was such and such, and you go back and know what they were about. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, I, I'm also just kind of a fan in general of programs awarding athletes in this, uh, in this way with scholarship money for their work, um, you know, not just their performance on the field, but their work um, with – service organizations or just being good people in general. That's, that's really nice to see. Um, and I think, um, I was thinking about this as I was kind of reading it earlier this morning, it's been a wild two years to be, uh, just a fan of Western Kentucky sports in general. So I feel like, you know, between, um, Tyson Helton coming back, um, this award, and then, you know, some of the other kind of good news that, um, Hilltopper fans have gotten recently like um, I think a volleyball player Alyssa Cavanaugh actually found like a bone marrow donor so that's great um, it, things are starting to turn around for Hilltopper fans I'm, I'm, I'm happy about it 
Absolutely, yeah. For uh, for Topper fans, yeah, they they absolutely could use any type of good news they can get. Because, like I said, it's been it's been a strange, uh, it's been a long, strange trip for the past two years of Western Kentucky athletics. So nice to have this, you know, kind of get things going. For sure. Um, with that, then we will go ahead and start wrapping the show up. Thank you all so much for listening once again. Um, something to keep in mind on a programming note, I believe we're going to switch platforms in the next couple of weeks. I don't know how that factors into our distribution, if at all, uh, but we'll certainly keep you updated. Uh, one way to stay updated on future shows, of course, is to follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and uh, check the site every day for more G5 football goodness as we get through the offseason together. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. Eric is at Eric C. Henry underscore. And uh, we hope you'll we hope you'll join us for more shows in the future. Uh, have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Happy football watching.